Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So hello there, welcome to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Uh, my name is Adam Burns, I'm one of your co-hosts here and joining me once again by the telephone, respecting social distancing as always, is my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic, everyone's doing well and through this and hopefully we've, uh, better times will be coming very soon for the, uh, for the lot of us. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's a beautiful summer evening as we're recording this on a Monday night here in London where we're based and uh, everything seems to be looking a bit more peachy at the moment, of course, with the ongoing situation with the coronavirus still gripping the world and obviously everyone edging on the side of caution as the lockdown rules are being eased ever so slightly on a week-by-week basis. Hopefully that positive trajectory continues and that sooner rather than later we might be able to return to some level of normality or at least... Uh, some level of it. I'm not sure if we'll be able to return to the same world that we left a couple of months ago when the lockdown first started. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Court? I think we just need to look forward now. You, you know, we need to be cautious. Absolutely. Don't, don't be stupid. Don't be blasé. But let's be positive going forward now because um, mental health is a big thing. And we need to look after our heads going forwards. And uh, as I said, better times are coming. I can feel it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I think it's a very, very important message to preserve and ensure that everyone's mental health is in good stead. And of course, it's important to talk about any issues you may have. I mean, I know I've certainly had issues in the past where I've had to talk to friends and loved ones in the past about that. And I think that's the best thing you can do, really, just get through this together. So, um, yeah, so moving on from that uh, very positive message to open the episode, I must say. So uh, let's have a look at what's currently going on in the news in the Formula One world this week. Oh, 
So, based on our podcast that we talked about last week, and uh, which was, by the way, one of our most successful episodes, so thank you very much for you guys to yeah, check us you out. Yeah, thank you guys, honestly, it's much appreciated. Yeah. And we got, got, we got feedback as well, and... We're we're still we're still relatively new to this game, aren't we, Adam? And you know, feedback is very important to us going forward because we want to make this channel a success. And you know, if if things go well, this could open up new opportunities. So please, 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 um, give us your feedback, even even if it's negative within reason. Please give us honest opinions because it will help us a lot going forward. Yeah, of course. I mean, we always love the positive feedback. But of course, if there's anything you feel that we can do better, anything constructive you can offer to us, then we're more than happy to lend an ear and learn from that. We can only only give you what you guys want from us. And uh, obviously, if what we're doing isn't quite right and you've got justifiable reasons for that to let us know how we can improve, then please, please do let us know. Of course, please do continue to like, share and subscribe uh, to the YouTube channel that we have. And of course, if you're f- listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcast or Paradox or iHeartRadio, etc., then yeah, please do continue to follow us and support us even more. We absolutely appreciate it. We were just saying, the um, last episode we did last week, our second most popular video uh, or podcast episode, I should say, that we've had. We've only done about 13, I think, now. So uh, unlucky okay. for some. But no, so but it's quite a milestone for us. I'm actually pretty happy with that so far. With you know, it's getting better. So that's always a good thing. Um, so coming back to the F1 news, of course, following the news last week about Sebastian Vettel leaving Ferrari at the end of the 2020 season to seek pastures new, whatever they may be, of course, left a massive hole in the driver market of what was going to happen, who was going to replace him. Since then, we had early confirmation on Tuesday, I believe it was that uh, Carlos Sainz is going to be the new Ferrari driver replacing Sebastian and assigned a two-year deal to partner Charles Leclerc at Ferrari for 2021 and 2022, which was confirmed by Ferrari. That's uh, quite a huge bombshell and one that we, in a way, we did see coming, Courtney. Well, can I just say, I think think me and you are very good at this... uh... Formula One transfer market. <laughs> I think I think we're the uh, we're like the Jim White of Formula One. Our predictions were almost spot on. Please listen to the previous episode and listen to our predictions, and then see what's actually happened so far. I am actually quite pleased with our predictions last week. It's it's funny you mentioned Jim. It's a shame that we can't have a transfer deadline day for Formula One stuff because these things happen ad hoc. Really, when the opportunity yeah. comes, so it's almost like. We'd love to be able to sit there with like yellow ties and a nice navy suit, all tailored up, walk into a studio and go breaking news or something like that. <laughs> In a, I'm not going to do the Scottish accent, even though I've got Scottish heritage, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. Um, but nonetheless, Carlos Sainz joining Ferrari—that's uh, quite a big move, and one in particular, Courtney, you were a big favour of, a big advocate of. So, what are your thoughts on Carlos joining Ferrari? You think it's a good signing? Um, I think it's a good sign in, in the sense that he'll be fast. But do I think it will be a good sign in terms of, you know, having good harmony within the team? I don't think so. It was interesting. I was um, I was listening on Twitter earlier on. Jensen Button was uh, talking about this. And he made a perfect point. Are Ferrari underestimating the ability of Carlos Sainz? Because maybe they originally see Sainz as a... Um, you know, almost almost like uh, how Kimi was with 
Sebastian Vettel. But he's not. He's very fast. He, he challenged Verstappen at Toro Rosso. In terms of um, sheer pace, he's not going to be an easy competitor for Charles Leclerc. No, and um, I think that's a very, very good point. Of course, it's worth mentioning that this partnership with Leclerc will make it the youngest partnership that Ferrari have had for 50 years. So, I mean, you consider that Ferrari have been in Formula 1 since its entirety for 70 years, and now this is the youngest partnership they've had in 50 of them. It's quite a telling story at Ferrari. Do they have faith in Carlos's pace? Well, I'd imagine they would. Hence why they've given him a two-year contract to replace Sebastian. Um, I'd imagine Carlos was probably their number one choice, uh, realistically you know speaking. It, do, you know, do you know what this um, coupling is, Adam? The best way to describe it? What's that? Unprecedented. The word of 2020, <laughs> unprecedented. Yeah, I, I would agree with that one. Definitely <laughs> unprecedented. I mean, me personally, I was an advocate for Daniel Ricciardo to join the team because I thought that Ricciardo, obviously more experienced, a proven race winner, um, could definitely uh, mount a championship challenge in the right car. We've seen that before. And also a driver at the peak of his powers, only 31. So it's hardly like Ricciardo's on the way out of Formula 1, quite the opposite. But in Sainz's case, again, Sainz, very young driver in his mid-20s. He's the older of the two. Of course, let's not forget Charles Leclerc is only 22 years of age. But has a massive amount of potential and talent um, to go with his, you know, to sort of counter his lack of experience, this must be said. And I think the lack of experience is going to be a telling factor at Ferrari post-Sebastian Vettel. Um, Ferrari are going to lose that top-level experience that a veteran like Vettel, and let's not forget Vettel's only 32, so despite being a veteran, he's hardly um, in his uh, golden years. No, in, do you know, you, you touched on experience, and there's no denying the talent that these two drivers have. But as you, as I said, you touched on talent there, uh, not talent, that you touched on experience. None well, of those drivers have experience of challenging for a world title yet, and you can't underestimate it. Well, even There is a reason yeah. why, up until Lewis nearly did it in 2007, there is a reason why a rookie has never gone on to win a world championship. Yeah, I mean, even when you look at it like... Um, the number of years that they've spent in Formula One. I mean, Carlos has been in Formula One since uh, 2015 um, yeah. in Toro Rosso. Um, Charles has been in Formula One now. This would be his uh, third season. It's crazy. You think it's your second season at Ferrari leading the team, and yet you've only been in Formula One for two years before this season. It's quite crazy. That's how massive his rise has been, meteoric within the sport. Um, but... What worries me is if you look at Ferrari drivers of yesteryear, I mean, we're taught the last 20 years you've got, you know, uh, Sebastian Vettel, obviously, Kimi Raikkonen, Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa, Rubens Barrichello, Michael Schumacher, uh, Eddie Irvine, even drivers like Giancarlo Fisichella, Luca Badua, uh, Mika Salo. Even going that far, Nigel Mansell. Yeah, Nigel Mansell, Prost, you know, Gerhard Berger, Jean Alessi, all drivers that were at Ferrari in, not their veteran years, but certainly with a fair amount of experience with them. I guess you could argue that the driver that spent the fewest amounts of years in Formula 1 before eventually joining Ferrari in their career was probably Michael Schumacher um, in 1996, who'd been in the sport for four years. Finally, Adam, he had world championship. Two of them, yeah. Yeah, we had world championships. We had experience battling for world championships, and you, you can't, you can't, you can't underestimate that when you're when you're 
when you're driving for a top team, particularly a team with the prestige that Ferrari does, you do need that experience. Yeah, you know, and even then, it, the experience is not enough. I mean, I think we no. should, in a future episode, we need to definitely discuss why this, the dream of Sebastian Vettel emulating Schumacher at Ferrari has not come to fruition. That's definitely one uh, for the next couple of weeks to discuss. I would definitely like to talk yeah, about no, that. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that too, mate. But uh, it, as a good marker for Vettel, despite having that pedigree, having those race wins, those championships, of course, let's not forget Sebastian Vettel is the third highest race winner in Formula 1 history with only Hamilton yeah. and Schumacher winning more races um, and obviously both won more championships but even that alone that experience at being at the top level that experience and knowledge of how to win how to get a team together isn't always enough and I think the fact that Charles and Carlos don't have that in their locker despite their both of them having the immense talent that is going to be a big big sticking point for Ferrari Something they're going to have to overcome with these with this driver pairing, particularly given you know the current climate of Formula One. You know you've got so their competitors are Lewis Hamilton, six-time world champion. He seems to be on an upward trajectory despite his age. He's got the perfect team around him. Then you look at their other main um, competitor, Red Bull, and they've got this this young rising star in Max Verstappen who looks like he could be the man of the next generation. They've got big competition and they need to be spot on with the choices that they make if they really, really want to be challenging and winning championships in the near future. Yeah, and no, that's a good point to make. Um, I mean, looking at the options that Ferrari probably had, I mean, Ricciardo, we've mentioned, is obviously one of them. Um, was there really, really anyone else in your mind that Ferrari could have possibly turned to other than Carlos Sainz and Daniel Ricciardo for that second seat? Possibly um, Sergio Perez being very reliable, consistent. He's always, he's always there. He, he reminds me a little bit of um, Ricciardo in the sense that when the opportunity has come to take a like opportunity of like you say you have a look at chaotic races where other drivers around them slip up, he's always there to take the maximum result out of it. So I think he would have been a good option. Yeah. Um, but I think that the one, the main one I do look at in terms of you know results and being at a good age of experience is Sergio Perez. But there weren't that many options, you know, given that Lewis Hamilton was never really a, was never really viable. He'd have no reason to leave Mercedes, and he knows, and he knows Leclerc's the main man at Ferrari. Yeah, he I mean, it's hard for Lewis to go. So yeah. there weren't really that many options for Ferrari. I know they are the team to go to. In terms of viable options, the only three I could personally see, even going back to last week, were Sainz, Ricciardo and Perez. What about you? Yeah, I mean, Perez is definitely would have been a good option, a good candidate for that Ferrari seat. As I said, he's been in Formula 1 for many years now, since uh, 2011, I believe, maybe 2010. Yeah, and obviously had, his, yeah, had a very successful period yeah. in the Sauber team. Obviously got that second place in 2012 at the Malaysian Grand Prix, very nearly won that race against Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari, funny enough. And um, and then obviously had that move to McLaren, which didn't really work out. He quite often clashed with Jensen Button and never really played the role that McLaren wanted him to. Well, only, had, yeah. 
he had six months to fill there, though. He, was, he did. He, he did, but I think he kind of went in there with the attitude that he wanted to try and take control of that team from Jensen, and it yeah. really ruffled a few feathers. They had quite a few incidents that perhaps an older, wiser Sergio might have been more uh, attuned to not trying those many risks. But then, of course, we're talking about the same guy that had the two-year ongoing battle for supremacy in the racing point team with Esteban Ocon, um, with the roles being reversed. And obviously, you know, you can make your own uh, assessments on what happened there. But Sergio has always been a very quick driver, very consistent, and has done a good job with racing point. And yeah, I think Ferrari could have considered him, but I don't feel that he has that pull power or that ability to mount a serious challenge in the next couple of years that Carlos signs probably do I think yeah, we, we can agree that Carlos Sainz is a driver that perhaps the next couple of years with a bit more um, experience and a bit more tuning his abilities and honing his craft at a top team might be able to challenge for a driver's championship in the next couple of years yeah I, I have I, I personally have no doubts about that he's clearly like, look, look what he's done at McLaren he's done great things at McLaren yeah, and that's, a good, and that's a good point. I mean, there's not really anyone else in my mind, realistically. I mean, we mentioned Lewis Hamilton, and we, we both know that if Lewis really wanted that seat, he'd be offered it tomorrow. Um, yeah. At the, obviously at the time. But realistically speaking, Ferrari's still a bit of an unknown with their car this year. From what we saw in testing, it seemed to be off the Mercedes pace, maybe at a push just ahead of Red Bull in race pace. We don't really know from what we saw from testing, but we kind of assessed it most likely probably could have been at the time um but Mercedes were clearly still ahead of the rest of the field and there was no reason for Lewis to leave a team like Mercedes when he's on top especially when Lewis's immediate goals have to be chasing immortality compared to the likes of Michael Schumacher when it was literally on the cusp of doing that and still is so um with Lewis's immediate goals I don't think Ferrari would have been able to provide him with the tools to achieve that this season but if there was a time for Lewis to join Ferrari, it probably would have been now anyway, before he ends yeah. his career. So, given, as I say, given the way that looking at Ferrari, Leclerc being the star of the team, it's not a desire. It wouldn't be a desirable seat given the situation that Lewis is in anyway. No, and I don't think Ferrari would have wanted that situation either. I mean, this is the reason why Sebastian was offered the role that he was uh, offered by Ferrari. I mean, there was a lot of um, contrasting opinions going on. Uh, following this news about Carlos Sainz over whether Ferrari had actually offered Sebastian Vettel a contract. Now, if we cast our minds back to the Ferrari launch back in February, um, mm-hmm. we've known from since December that there were initial discussions between Vettel, his representatives, and Ferrari's management, uh, Louis Camilleri, Mattia Bonotto, uh, for example. And Mattia himself had actually said that quite often that Sebastian was his number one choice. He was very vocal about this and obviously Vettel's talents within the team and obviously how highly Ferrari still rated Sebastian despite uh, what had transpired in the last few years with his um, near misses in 2017 and 2018, of course, when we both agreed he should have really won the title that season, but obviously he didn't. And that did leave a sour taste in Ferrari's mouths. And I think the role from what we heard that was offered to Sebastian, not necessarily a contract, because there are a lot of people that don't believe a contract was offered um, one year or not, but they believed that during the discussions, the role that was offered to Sebastian was basically similar to the role that Kimi was given when supporting Sebastian, which would be one where you do what you can for the team, not necessarily be a number two, but one where you wouldn't necessarily demand much from the team in terms of control or support in the same way that they would expect Charles Leclerc to do as the new that first driver. 
that was never going to work. No, no way with a man of Vettel's prestige, even given you know the downward trajectory when it comes to performances. Um, a, a man of his ilk, a, a man with his records, there would be no chance of him accepting those terms. And and it's in this, you know, it's looking pretty obvious why he could have well turned down the contract, as you know, you've already been stating. Yeah, and and to be fair to Sebastian Vettel, I can totally understand how, why he would feel that way. I mean, this is a man who has many times wrestled control and dominance of a team in his favour, and that's not necessarily a bad trait. That's something that all the top drivers have had to do, all the big world champs have had to do in order to be successful. You know, Schumacher's done it, Hamilton's done it, Senna did it. Um, I mean, Prost had to leave a team to do it when things were getting too uh, tense with his own teammate, and Senna did the same thing. So... You know, you see that a lot in history, and I think in Sebastian's case, when you're left in a position where, from the moment Leclerc signed that new deal, which took him up to 2024 with Ferrari, the writing was on the wall for Sebastian yeah. that this was no longer his team. The dream of the Schumacher 2.0 or the dream of winning a title at Ferrari, which has eluded many great drivers, most notably the man who replaced Fernando Alonso, of course. Um, it it was reminds a, me of that. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that meme. No, they say you know the one that they tell you not to worry about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a I bit know like that. Like, you know, the club come along. Yeah, he'll be he'll be a good understudy. Yeah, probably the mentality that Bell had when he first, the club first joined. Like, he'll be a good good under understudy. I'll win this until I win this championship at Ferrari. Then he can take over and I'll retire. Yeah, that's it. Then you Obviously, know, he ran out of time. I think that's what happened. He, he ran out of time and and. And the club really ex- and excelled. And I don't. I don't think Vettel expected him expected him to excel the way he did. I don't think anybody and did. Like, no. As we said last week, very early on last season, you stated it in Bahrain. Even then, um, the club was showing moments of intent. But the real point for me, where this looks like it's becoming the club's team, was in, when he became the hero at Monza last season. He was that. That was it. He was. He was. It was in the hearts of every Italian that day. Yeah, it was very much sold to the Ferrari fans that this kid was going to be the future in that team yeah. winning for Ferrari in Italy, which hadn't happened for some time since Fernando Alonso did it. So, um, yeah, it, it's a shame that it's come to... I mean, we say this almost with the assumption that Sebastian Vettel's not going to win the championship for Ferrari this season on his uh, last season. I mean, what a story would that be? Um, but it does seem... All the evidence suggests that that may not necessarily happen. And it is a shame, considering that it's something that promised so much, almost like it was uh, advertised as the reincarnation of Schumacher at Ferrari, the next German superstar world champion at Ferrari. But unfortunately, Sebastian just wasn't able to achieve that milestone. But of course, we're going to discuss that in a future episode. It's definitely an interesting one as to why that hasn't happened because there's always been a lot of back and forth, whether it's the driver, whether it's the team, whether it's the management. And to be honest, it's a combination of the three, really. But There is a lot to talk about. You're right. I think it'd be a good idea to make an episode on it because there is a lot to talk about. Yeah, and and I think it's worth noting that I think Carlos is a very good signing for Ferrari and it's definitely one that... Despite his lack of experience at the top, top level, um, it, it definitely is a signing that definitely suggests that Ferrari are trying to go against their core traditions and ideas, like they did with Leclerc beforehand, yeah. and it has rewarded them and paid dividends to them. So perhaps this is something that Ferrari may look back on as a huge 
decision in the right way for them moving forward. But obviously, we'll be looking forward to seeing how that pays that pans out for them next season. Of course, when that eventually like, happens. Yeah, it's almost like a change of tactic by Ferrari. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, to be honest. And I no. think it's one that even if it doesn't go well, what have they really lost? You know, they still are able to take a lot from that. But of course, we'll we'll see how that pans out for them. So, um, so moving on to the other piece of news, of course, the one that really triggered the news, uh, which happened actually 10 minutes before this Carlos Sainz news was announced, was McLaren signing Daniel Ricciardo for 2021 to replace Carlos Sainz when he does move in Ferrari, which, Courtney, as we know, that news was made apparent to us uh, 10, 15 minutes before the Carlos Sainz news broke for Ferrari. So to lose Carlos Sainz for McLaren, obviously that is a a bitter blow considering this was the guy that they really... um, invested to bring the team forward and to try and bring them up and amongst the big three once again which to their credit is going to take some time but McLaren obviously would have been gutted to lose signs but instead signing Ricciardo it's um, not a bad driver to replace Carlos Sainz and to lead that team forward. And that's, for me, that's a very strong signing for both McLaren and Ricciardo, something they both probably yeah. needed. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, personally, I think it looks like the perfect marriage, shall we say, the, the, you know, the perfect combination. You know, when you have a look at the situation and you go, this person suits that situation at that particular time, all those boxes are ticked when it comes to Ricciardo going to McLaren. You know, they need... They're on the upward trajectory, be it a slow one, they're on the upward trajectory. They could have come under real threat, you know, losing the guy who spearheaded this slow revival. But they quickly acted in getting a guy who can continue to get good results for the team. You know, I, I, I mentioned it earlier on, we're talking about Perez. He has that knack of getting results in chaotic graces. So they could be like the way science got a podium in Brazil. You can guarantee that if there's a chaotic race or if there's a wet race and, you know, two, three, maybe four of the top drivers go out the race, you'll be sure that uh, Dan Ricciardo would be getting the best out of that car and possibly getting some good points or podium out of it. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that with uh, Daniel Ricciardo because McLaren aren't exactly signing a driver from the midfield and taking a punt on them, hoping that they're going to come good like Signs did for them. They're signing a driver that's a proven race winner. They're signing someone at the peak of their powers at 31. Very experienced in Formula 1 since his Toro Rosso days in 2013. Of course, his Hispania days. If, or not Hispania, HRT, I should say. Uh, many yeah. years ago, driving in the HRT, for those of you that didn't know, Daniel Ricciardo in the old HRT car. And... Um, yeah, it's a driver that has a lot of experience, a lot of uh, talent, a born, proven race winner, a guy that's won many classic races in the past, most notably the 2018 Chinese Grand Prix, and uh, in spectacular fashion, that must be said, it was, it was a brilliant race to watch, both the Red Bulls, of course, but the one ability about Daniel Ricciardo, I think it gets a lot of people excited about him, is the fact that he's able to overtake people with such conviction. He's the kind yeah. of guy that he could be half a mile behind you, obviously exaggerating this, and he'll still find a way to find himself in front of you into turn one. Sometimes, though, like Verstappen, when he pulls those moves off, the emphasis is on the other driver to get out of the way to avoid an incident, but nonetheless, yeah. it's still exciting. I mean, the man yeah, is... Uh, um, the, um... 
He's known as the last of the late breakers. And yeah, and then some. I mean, what's the trademark? Lick the stamp and send it. I believe <laughs> he says it. So, um, and obviously, you know, the uh, creator of the Shuey as well. And um, and in the McLaren, it's been a while since we've seen a Shuey celebration on a podium. We certainly miss that celebration watching uh presenters and celebrities that do the trophy yeah. presentations awkwardly having to gulp champagne out of daniel ricardo's sweaty boot that he's been wearing while no sitting yeah. they're, 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 they're cornered there's no escape they're on that podium there's no exit in that moment in time they have to drink from the shoe well the best one was um when sebastian stewart had to indulge in that um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he certainly looked like he enjoyed. It. I think was it Canada? I think it was uh, a couple of years ago. I think Ricardo won, and he had to do. It. I'm not sure if it's Canada. It was definitely one of them, and he had to do that. And it was uh, yeah, definitely quite a sight. He seemed a bit more game for it than I would have imagined. Sir Patrick Stewart. It was quite hilarious actually. To see him just get up there and just say, "Yeah, all right, then I'll do this." Like <laughs> it was quite funny. But but that's the sort of thing that Formula One I think has lacked the last couple of years since Daniel yeah. Ricciardo left the Red Bull team. After uh, some, you know, some stellar performances, of course, Monaco, his redemption victory a couple of years ago as well. Um, in twenty, was it twenty eighteen in Monaco or was it twenty seven? I can't remember. 2018 where he. Uh, oh, I think it was. I think it was eighteen. Yeah, when he had the issue with the MGUH and uh, yeah. which completely failed on him, and he had to drive the rest of the Monaco Grand Prix, fending off Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari and. Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes on with 160 brake horsepower less, which, as Martin Brundle would quite often say, would power a family saloon car very nicely. And obviously, Daniel had to fend off without that. Um, and he got the win, you know, a, a couple of years after should have having won the Monaco Grand Prix. But of course, that mixed up with his teammate in the pits where they completely forgot his tyres and it cost him the race nonetheless. So it's never boring with Daniel Ricciardo at the front and I think McLaren know that and they will know that they still have a long way to go to give him a car that can compete with the big three teams as we've mentioned before and of course with the ever-growing threat of Racing Point which will be Aston Martin as as well to boot they've definitely got an immediate threat behind them as well to worry about but all in all I would say it's a very good move for both drivers you know Ricciardo had to leave that Renault team I'm very convinced that despite Renault's best efforts, they're going to be in a position where they're more likely going to be looking over their shoulder at the likes of Alpha Tauri and yeah. Haas, Williams as well, of course, if they're not too careful, rather than competing with McLaren and Racing Point slash Aston Martin in the next couple of years. That's my personal thoughts, and not to mention the Mercedes engines as well. Yeah. Uh, coming to McLaren team, which I believe will make Daniel Ricciardo the second driver to have driven all four, using all four manufacturer engines in the hybrid era. Do you know who the first is? The first? Yeah. I believe there's one already, but I believe Daniel Ricciardo will become the second to do this. Wow, you caught me off guard with this one, mate. I have no idea. (laughs) So it's uh, Kevin Magnussen, who is the only driver, I believe, that's used all four manufacturer engines using the, um, obviously, the Renault engine when he was at Renault in uh, 2015, I believe it was. Then he went to, uh, obviously, he was at uh, McLaren using Mercedes Mercedes. in 2014. Um, And then he's obviously driven the uh, Ferrari engine as well. Um, And uh, does he drive the Honda engine? It might have been briefly for McLaren in 2015. Yeah, briefly. But I know K Mag has used all four engines. But yeah, Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, I think he must have. He might have done some testing. 
the Honda engine. Yeah, I believe so. So, so yeah, it'd be a good experience well, for Daniel. You with your pub quiz questions, Adam. Well done. I actually did host a pub quiz the other night. Uh, doing the uh, questions the on that, <laughs> so that went pretty well. So yeah, I've, I've got a few in the locker, although that wasn't one of them though. So I'll have to make a mental note for that for next time before that gets there out of go. hand. But yeah, so um, you know, it's it's a good move for Daniel Ricciardo. Obviously, I believe he's got the one year with uh, Lando Norris, and of course, Lando quite um, had to get himself out there and mention that. Um, for those of you that weren't aware, I'm still staying on with McLaren. Obviously, he'd signed a contract for another year at McLaren for the 2021 season. So we'll be seeing more of Lando in 2021 as well with Daniel Ricciardo. So that's oh, going to be an interesting lineup. Oh, great partnership. That's going to be yeah. also a partnership. It's going, to be, it's going to be brilliant. And not 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 just uh, not just in a kind of, oh, Formula 1 banter kind of way. You know what I mean? That, that That's going to be great enough. But they're going to be fast as well. They're not going to be a pair. They're going to... I just feel they're going to get that perfect balance like Norris and Sainz did, where they were able to have a laugh, but they were serious on track and they were fast. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that's really one that I'm looking forward to. Uh, it's quite exciting. There's a, there's a good prospect. You've got two young drivers, one of them experienced. Obviously, they expect to be leading that team, but having to learn the ropes at McLaren for some time. And obviously, you've got Lando, who's got that experience at McLaren, but still n- not even 20 years of age. Yeah, I believe so. He's twenty now. Oh, he's twenty. Oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, so you know he's only only twenty years of age, so he's still a, a kid, but he's been in that McLaren program for so many years, so he'll be able to lend his experience and knowledge to Daniel, so that they can have a good working relationship. Of course, there's going to be a but, rivalry. But, yeah, but I feel I feel I feel that uh, Ricciardo could uh, teach Lando Norris a lot because I I touched on it in um, an earlier episode quite early on. That my one concern I have about Lando Norris as a driver is it's all well and good having a laugh and to be popular, but could he enjoy that aspect of it too much and not take the sport seriously enough? And I feel having a teammate like Ricciardo, who, who's got that balance perfectly, you know, got the, the balance perfect, I reckon he could look at Ricciardo as, a, as an example of how to, you know, approach race weekends in the future yeah definitely I think um, we've all seen Lando's talent and there is definitely a lot there to talk about It's very, but it's still very very raw um, I mean we see him put some great performances in his rookie season as did Alex Albon and obviously yeah. performance aside uh, George Russell as well Russell. and you know we're seeing Alex Albon make that step up to Red Bull and it's a big season for him whenever that gets going to really cement his place there alongside Max Verstappen. Obviously, nothing needs to be said about Max that we don't already know. Obviously, George is going to get that big move eventually. We know his talent is there for everyone to see and Charles already you leading know? Ferrari. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the man who won't stop taking topless pics and putting them on his Instagram page, uh, the, the more you know. But... Um, there's someone like Ricciardo can really be a good influence for Lando Norris and really help him to add that veteran-like experience and to his own racecraft to really help him take that next step as a driver because Lando's not really had that. I mean, Carlos was uh, a lot more seasoned than Lando was uh, because of the fact that he was older and been in Formula 1 longer, but you could hardly say Carlos Sainz was a veteran that could really teach Lando how to survive yeah, in Formula 1, especially with Carlos's history, moving from Red Bull to, to Toro Rosso to 
the Red Bull program to Renault and then obviously to McLaren and every time he's moved on it's other than this recent change to Ferrari it's not really happened in the best of circumstances for his parent team at the time so this would be good for Lando I think it might be exactly what he needs and he has to rise to the challenge because there's it's not going to take long before Daniel settles into that McLaren and really gets going so Lando's yeah. not going to have an easy ride but it can only be good for him so I'm looking forward to seeing how that partnership will go so I think that's a good time to uh, take it to the first half now. I've been going on for about half an hour or so. So in the second part, guys, when you rejoin us, we're going to be talking about the rest of the driver market, how it's been impacted by the news of Vettel, Sainz and Ricciardo, how it's been affected. And of course, we should also touch on what options are available for Sebastian Vettel. Obviously, which team is he going to move to? And if there is a seat, will he leave Formula 1 at the end of the season? We'll have to find out in the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back guys, so this is the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Now just to recap on what we were talking about in the first part, we were talking about the news about Carlos Sainz joining Ferrari and Ricciardo joining McLaren and obviously how that's shaking up the driver market. So with that in mind, Courtney, I think the question that needs to be asked or at least the debate that needs to be made is now that we've got the seat at Ferrari and the seat at McLaren sorted, what does that do for the rest of the driver market? And most importantly, what does that do for Sebastian Vettel? Realistically speaking, you'd have to say that even though almost every team in the paddock would strongly consider at least having Sebastian Vettel in their car, um, there aren't really many realistic options for him based on what he wants. I mean, he doesn't want to play the number two role. He doesn't want to play, as we mentioned before, the undemanding Kimi Raikkonen role, if you like, because if he wanted to do that, he'd have signed a one-year deal with Ferrari if, of course, Ferrari had offered him that. Um, And we know that that's not what he wanted. So it does kind of limit him to his options. And, of course, I think we have to entertain one potential seat that could be available to him is the one at Mercedes, knowing that let's uh, ignore the Lewis Hamilton situation with his contract up at the end of the season but we expect Lewis to sign a new deal as and when he's ready to I don't think there's any doubts in our mind that that's not going to happen um but the Valtteri Bottas situation now where for the last couple of seasons since Bottas has been at Mercedes it's always been a case where it's always been on a knife edge whether or not he's going to stay on at that team and year by year he gets another year contract and whilst we don't agree it's something that will help Bottas he's always been a very good wingman to Lewis Hamilton and I know he won't like it us saying that especially when Toto Wolff said it and we did touch on this in the last episode but do we think realistically there is if a seat was made available um, through Bottas not staying on next season would Mercedes seriously consider putting Sebastian Vettel alongside Lewis Hamilton as tantalating and scintillating as that sounds it's the stuff of dreams but would that really be a reality could you see that happening I feel there could be one situation that could make this possible and what's okay. that if Lewis is leading the championship by a decent margin and he's on the verge of equaling Schumacher's seven world championships having a driver like Vettel in the same team as him could give him the extra motivation he needs going into next season. So I think if if Lewis looks like he's on the verge of getting that seventh world championship, I feel that Mercedes could uh, potentially um, welcome the pair in. It would be like a new challenge for them. 
I mean, there's always been a great deal of respect between these two drivers. I think yeah. a lot of people neglect the fact that as far as almost everybody on that grid is is concerned, Lewis Hamilton respects and admires Sebastian Vettel probably a lot more than anybody else. And I think it's vice versa, their relationship. Yeah. You do see moments between the two. I think one to point out is the... Um, one in particular that sticks in my mind. Well, there's actually a few I might indulge you with. So there was the one where they exchanged crash helmets at the end of last season. Um, yeah. And obviously Lewis had a lot of good things to say about Sebastian. And Sebastian likewise with Lewis after he won his sixth title. And obviously it was only two years ago that these guys... It was all advertised these guys were going to be fighting for their fifth world championship. And it was a really big thing. And obviously it was a very Titanic-like battle until eventually Sebastian and Ferrari had run out of steam towards the end of it but there was also the one where after the Bahrain Grand Prix I believe it was a couple of years ago and I think it was a Dutch journalist who mentioned on the team radio that Lewis Hamilton had called uh, Max Verstappen a dickhead and uh and, oh, yeah. and he wanted to get Lewis's reaction as to why he said that because what had happened was I think uh, Lewis had come out of the pits and Max had tried to overtake him very quickly. But of course, Max had put Lewis in a position where Lewis had to take avoiding action where they touched. And if Lewis yeah. didn't take, it did send Lewis into a bit of a semi-spin. He didn't spin, but he sort of like lost control. And if it wasn't for Lewis's last minute reaction, he would have had a bit of an accident. Yeah. And Lewis responded, he was angry. His uh, adrenaline was up. Obviously, he responded, as you would expect. I mean, these guys are human beings. We don't expect them to go, oh, that was rather naughty of you, sir. I do not appreciate it. <laughs> no one's going to say that. Could you, like, no one would say that. No. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then he asked that question. I remember Sebastian cutting in saying, do you mind if I answer that question? And he basically just stuck up yeah, for Lewis no. and said, all you guys are trying to do is trying to get an answer out of him to say he was rolled up so you can make a fake story out of nothing just to cause a rift. And it, it, and this is the sort of behaviour where we... And the camaraderie and respect between these two drivers that does give me the smallest shred of hope that it would be possible for these two... Um, to race together in the same team. But I still believe that that is more on the realms of fantasy rather than reality. I just can't see a situation where those two would be in the same team together. I just don't think Mercedes can handle two drivers of that calibre and that level of demand that they would uh, expect. I mean, I don't think Sebastian would ever go to Mercedes despite the car being as good as it is. Um... Arguably, possibly the only car more likely to give him a world championship than a Ferrari. Um, Red Bull, was, I suppose, as well in that equation. But because just, arguably, I don't think we would we would have seen such a strong partnership in terms of talent since Hamilton and Alonso were together at McLaren, and we well, we all saw what happened there. And you could argue even stronger. It, it, the history books will probably look at it and say it probably would be even stronger. We're looking pro Senna levels. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that that kind of partnership it would be the dream team of all dream teams i don't think i could think of a stronger driver lineup than those two together um in the history of formula one that that is possible uh, yeah accumulative world championships that would be 10 10, 10 yeah. World championships between them yeah exactly and um as i was saying before i just don't think sebastian would expect to go to mercedes and not expect the team to give him at minimum what he feels he needs to win a world championship, let alone yeah. trying to bear on to divide the team 
as it was when Mercedes had Rosberg and Hamilton fighting each other for four years. So, and I, they only got away with that because they were so far ahead. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think they would have done. Um, I mean, we've seen in the past what happened to Hamilton when those things happened at McLaren and Kimi Raikkonen won the 2007, and obviously it nearly happened again a year later. But yeah. um, and, and you've seen in the past other teams where that's happened, and I don't think. Mercedes, I, I mean, they do love to entertain us, and Total Wolf is so good when it comes to the interviews in terms of knowing what to say and how to address these situations by not giving away much, but at the same time, using it or always using every interview that he has uh, or that he does to um, to his advantage, I suppose, without saying it. And, and my theory on this. Is I believe he did talk about the idea of Sebastian coming to Mercedes, and he said it's definitely an option we should take seriously, and that any yeah. team would be lucky to have Sebastian Vettel in their car. And for me, I heard this, and the first thing that I thought of was when um, when you get excuse me, someone bibbing their horn outside, but when um, must be a fan out of <laughs> they know when we're recording. Um, that's it. Gotta love the fan base. They're dedicated. Don't know how they know where we live, but that's, I digress. No, you know you should do. You know you should do. You should go out the balcony and go. Thank you. We have the best fans. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. I should. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Very, very good court. Um, but it's, it's like you know when you see footballers uh, and like on the last years of their contract, and then obviously managers talking about replacements to try and make them realise that you can't hold us to ransom here. Um, if you leave, we'll bring in someone else. And I think, in a way, Toto Wolf is kind of doing this with the Lewis Hamilton thing because we know about yeah. the demands Lewis has and he has every right to demand them. He's the high, biggest commodity in Formula One. He's the six-time world champion. He's easily the best driver in the sport. And despite Mercedes having that car, I think they're more concerned about the prospect of Lewis leaving the sport and not continue to dominate with them rather than going somewhere else. And... It's almost using this Sebastian Vettel situation to basically say to Lewis that we've got the option of Seb if you decide you don't want to stay. Yeah, like it's almost yeah. like we can get Seb and we can get him for cheaper because it's, it's the money aspect as well. I think that's something that people need to remember. Yeah. It's the money aspect. We know that Sebastian Vettel, obviously, he's already said money is not his motivation and I know that he would take a pay cut to join Mercedes from Ferrari. Yeah. And in a weird way, perhaps, and this does add a little bit of, um, it might be a weird theory, but it might actually also be the reason why it's not impossible to see Sebastian in a Mercedes next season. Um, But not necessarily to partner Lewis, but to replace him if Lewis is not able to lower his demands and agree terms with Mercedes. So I think that's something, a little seed of doubt, if you like, for... Um, or why I think it is possible for Sebastian to join Mercedes to replace Lewis, of all people, just so that Total Wolf... I don't think that's the tactic. I think the tactic is simply to let Lewis know that don't hold us to ransom on this because of who you are and your credentials, although, of course, Lewis can do that as champion. There's nothing wrong in that. It's negotiating. And he's very shrewd at that, Lewis, in his past. He's always been very good at engineering these moves and these deals that he gets. But... It's almost just to remind him that if you decide you don't want to stay on our terms, we've got a four-time world champion who'd be more than happy to jump in your car and probably win a world championship. Um, I think Sebastian could definitely do that, and I'm not sure Sebastian would turn down that idea. I think that's the seat he would want. But uh, I mean, but then uh, so looking at other teams, I mean, 
there's a vacant seat at Renault, of course, uh, now yeah. that um, now that Carlos Sainz has gone to Ferrari and Ricciardo has gone to McLaren to leave the Renault team. Of course, Renault weren't impressed with Ricciardo leaving them as he was meant to be the future. Um, that obviously hasn't happened. I mean, Cyril Rubitable has mentioned plenty of drivers to be the future of their team. He said that about Hulkenberg, said about Ricciardo, he said that even about Alonso when he came back years ago. Um, and... Uh, I just—it's quite amusing to think about that, and it's—it's it's Renault have just not got it right, and I think Renault's problems with their car in the past and the fact that they've really struggled to try and get back to the top three—it's not impossible for them with the influx of changes coming in 2022 now, as they've been pushed back a year from 2021. I just can't see Sebastian um, signing a contract for three or four years to buy into a project that may or may not work, especially after leaving a Ferrari one that did seem like it was going to work and didn't. So I just yeah, can't see that we, happening. Um, we touched on it earlier on in the episode. Uh, looking from the outside, Renault looked like a team that are looking backwards rather than forwards right now. And I can't... Uh, it would just make no sense whatsoever for Sebastian Vettel to go there. No. None of So then that leaves a few other options. Of course, we exclude everyone else at the back end of the grid. That's not going to happen. Sebastian's definitely not going to do a Raikkonen and carry on driving for the sake of it, just for the fun of driving. Um, Sebastian's not that way inclined and obviously we love Kimi for that attitude he just wants to have fun and race and that's great um, racing point Aston Martin now that's something that shouldn't be ruled out of course the trajectory in which racing point are now going especially with the Aston Martin partnership obviously the consortium led by Lawrence Stroll and of course Toto Wolf buying uh, a fairly large stake in the Aston Martin outfit like he has at Mercedes so you know, Toto's involvement in that team may become more apparent. Of course, there's no obligation for him to remain loyal to one team, even as a shareholder or as a, a team principal. There's no obligation for that from Toto Wall. So it's something that the way that team is going, obviously they're improving their um, wind tunnel, their factories and everything else. They're yeah. based just across the road from Mercedes. There's no reason to suggest that Racing Point or Aston Martin might not be a possibility. Um I mean, they've got Sergio Perez, of course, who's there, who's putting a lot of money into that team through his backers in Mexico, but that may not continue, of course. Um, well, that's the one thing. It is, it is Perez, because I, I, I first raised this possibility in the last episode, if you remember. I first raised this. Yeah, you did, yeah, I and, remember. And we're, we're pretty certain, because obviously Lance Stroll's dad is a big part of the team. Yes. We can imagine Lance will be staying there into next season, and... I think I heard. Yeah, Perez, Perez yeah. is the big stickler in this. If if Perez stays, it's not possible. But if he starts looking for it this season, and the other thing we've got bear in mind, we haven't even raced this season yet. There no, are going to no. be some performances that are going to catch the eye of team principals. You know, there could be a chance, be it a small chance, Perez might be unhappy and he might start underperforming. Then before you know it, that seat's available. Same applies with the Mercedes seat. What's going to ha- happen with Bottas? Bottas could well surprise us and really take a step up or he might lose all hope and then that Mercedes seat look, um, looks more available. So it'd be interesting to come again of the season looking into, if all goes to plan, we look into August, September. I think that's when this, um, shall we say, proverbial F1 transfer market 
could really open up again. Yeah, the silly season uh, has already started in a way. I mean, we've already heard talks about other drivers. I mean, it's good that you mentioned Mercedes, actually. I think we should go back to that. So, obviously, the racing point situation. I think we expect Lance Stroll to stay on for years to come, for as long as his dad will allow him to. With no disrespect to Lance, he's a very good driver and is a former GP3 champion, which Lando Norris won, Mick Schumacher won, Valtteri Bottas has won as well. So, Lance is definitely not just a... A rich boy in his daddy's team. He has got racing pedigree yeah. about him, but we do know um, from what we've seen in with the upper echelons of the Formula One paddock that Lance doesn't quite stand up to those top top drivers. But he's definitely one that's improved over time. That must be said. And I think now that he's in a comfortable competitive seat, I'd expect to see a lot more from him where he's going to be tested. But I digress on that. But going back to Mercedes, Courtney, you mentioned the Bottas situation. I think this is something that the driver market is now going to influence because there are more options. And one driver that you mentioned to me before and that I think we should definitely talk about is George Russell. Yeah. Now, George is in a bit of a precarious situation. He's in his second season of Formula 1 with the Williams team. Despite being the only driver to score no points last season, he had a very impressive uh, season. Um, easily in a car that was nowhere near the field but more than one occasion he was able to compete and really raise a few eyebrows I think hungry qualifying where he didn't get out of the first qualifying session but he was literally hundreds of a second from qualifying into Q2 and to put this into perspective guys this is in a car that was about a second a second and a half slower than the next fastest car on the grid and for George on a very technical circuit like Hungary where engine performance was mitigated massively. And bear in mind, they're using Mercedes engines. So the one advantage they did have was completely mitigated altogether. And yeah, Hungary st- yeah. is, a, um, is one of the circuits that's uh, otherwise known as a driver's circuit. It's where the, the talent... Like, like, it's, it does have um, street circuit properties about it. So, you know, it kind of has the same feel as Monaco, where... It's one of the tracks where the driver performance really shows in comparison to like the true pace of their car. Yeah, and he did that with against Robert Kubica. He out-qualified him in every single race of yeah. the season. Now, we know one caveat of that is it's not the Robert Kubica of old. We know that. It's not the Robert Kubica that should have joined Ferrari in 2010 um, if it wasn't for his rally accident, which severed part of his left arm. Um and amazing to see him back in the sport. But Robert's always still had that pace about him. He proved that last season at times, even in testing, because he was one of the test drivers for Alfa Romeo this season. And he was fairly impressive. He set the fastest time for Alfa Romeo in the entire test programme before the second week when they really upped the ante. So, you know, George, if you want to have a barometer to measure his performance... Um, it's definitely in a position where he should be knocking on the door for a seat at Mercedes. Of course, now that Esteban Ocon has moved to Renault, it's natural for George to be next in line for that Mercedes seat. And I think with all the ambiguity in the driver market, and obviously Bottas, it's only a matter of time before perhaps Mercedes say, look, we can't keep Bottas on. Surely, George should be knocking on the door, as he has been for a few years now, to say to Mercedes, look, you've got to promote me. Can I make another one of my uh, predictions? Because I don't want to get too cocky, but we got quite a few last week. Quite a few right last week. <laughs> well, you're on a roll, Courtney, so, so who am I to stop right, you? Go let's, for it. Let's see. So I'm going to stick with Vettel either retiring or going to Racing Point. Okay. Bottas goes to Renault. And then George Russell 
goes to Mercedes. I think. What do you think, Adam? I mean, I mean, you heard it here, folks. Uh, folks first from Courtney's um, ever reliable palette of uh, Formula One knowledge, but I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think you and I are probably in agreement about the Vettel situation that sadly, I think this could be his final year in Formula 1. I just don't think that there's going yeah. to be a seat available to him that's going to persuade him to stay. There's definitely seats available, but not the ones that he wants. And he's not going to stick yeah. around and drive in the midfield. We know that. So I, I do strongly believe that he's going to be retiring unless something dramatic happens. Um, and I already teased the idea at Mercedes with Hamilton, but I just don't think that's going to happen. But... um the Bottas situation is an interesting one because Bottas is a driver that a lot of top teams would happily have in their team. But the problem is, other than Mercedes, there isn't really a seat available to him that would really entice him. I don't think Bottas would leave the sport either. I think if a seat was made available at Renault exactly. or Racing Point, yeah. I think Racing Point would be a good option for Bottas as well uh, to maybe replace Sergio Perez. Um, if Perez is not kept on, I think that's something they should be looking at as well. And of course, with Toto Wolff having the stake in, uh, the Aston Martin team being at Brackley as well it might be a good transition for Bottas to move to the sister Mercedes team if you like um, well given, given this year's uh, this year's concept on the uh, racing point I, I can't really argue with that yeah 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 driving <laughs> I mean a potential carbon copy almost of the W10 as we've often yeah. joked about as many people have in the Formula 1 community but I, I don't think Bottas going to racing point is certainly out of the question I think that's more realistic than people give it credit um George Russell to Mercedes, I think it'd be a great idea. I mean, we talked yeah. in the break, we were teasing the idea about George going to Mercedes and why that makes sense. I mean, if we think about it, you've got his colleagues that he's raced in junior categories. You've got Max Verstappen, very briefly, they raced together in karting. Um, Alexander Albon, who's at Red Bull now. Charles Leclerc, team leader at Ferrari. Um, Lando. Lando Norris, of course, you know. And Albon, George and... Um, Lando raced in F2 together, obviously coming first, second and third in the championship with George winning and Lando runner-up and Albon third. Um, George has scored more points than any other driver, I believe, in Formula 2, even more than Charles Leclerc did. Um, He won the F2 championship and F3 championship back-to-back in his rookie seasons. You'll go a very long way to finding a driver with a more impressive junior category, or junior career, I should say, than George Russell. And he's a driver that demands a lot of himself. He works hard. He expects a lot of himself. Even when you see him in the online league races, his passion almost in a bit, almost a bit irate and a bit annoying because he does love a whinge, George. But he does whinge. He does. But having said that, as, as funny as it is, um, his talent is for there to see, and it's very, very impressive. And I just feel like Mercedes can only keep him back for so long. And in a weird way, having seen the success of. Leclerc at Ferrari, what he's done, given that promotion when he was very inexperienced and Verstappen shining on his debut for Red Bull, winning the Spanish Grand Prix his first time out there and making that team his own and Alex Albon doing well and Lando Norris at McLaren. There's no reason why George Russell can't handle um, the pressure of driving a Mercedes. Granted, he will have to compete with Lewis Hamilton, but in a weird way, that's almost like the pass- like the passing of the torch. Yeah. between the two drivers. So I think George, George Russell has been very open of his admiration for Lewis mm. many times in the past. I think you're right. I think that'd be, you know, particularly as a British fan, I, I think it'd be it'd, it'd be a great thing to see because I don't, I don't think George Russell would be a slouch at Mercedes, though. That's that's the thing. He would, he would really, I think he would push Lewis to an extent, though. It would, it would be plain sailing for Lewis. But yeah, I think it'd be, 
a good opportunity, really. He's made a pass on the baton. Well, this is it. And and George has been tagged with the uh, ever-so-dangerous um, tagline, well, headline, if you like, of being a driver that many people believe is a world champion in waiting. Of course, they said the same thing about many other drivers, one of which was uh, uh, Jensen Button. And, of course, for a while, it didn't seem like that was going to happen until the uh, fairy tale story of Braun in 2009. And, you know, you see many drivers get those... Uh, predictions and people talk about them as if they're destined for success and George is certainly a driver that exuberates that level of talent um, and maturity for a man of his young age he definitely comes across as the most level-headed mature driver of, the, of that cohort of young drivers about him nothing seems to really phase him he's very much um, a veteran on a, uh, on a, a veteran's head and a young man's shoulders yeah exactly um, I really I really hope that Verstappen doesn't run away with it in the, uh, you know, in terms of talent in the championships. I really hope that Verstappen doesn't run away with it because we've got potential to have another golden generation coming up here. I think we are very fortunate that we are... I mean, we already had a plethora of talent in this previous generation. Yeah. I think this generation, this new generation breaking through... Um, for as long as Hamilton allows it to stay back before he eventually moves on, because it seems he's the only person at the moment, now that Sebastian Vettel's moving on, that is keeping this new generation back, which is impressive. I mean, just like Schumacher did many years yeah. ago. But this young generation has a plethora of talent to them, and I, could, for one, cannot wait to see the next decade of Formula 1 is in very, very good hands. And of course, we're adding other drivers like Carlos Sainz now to the mix in the Ferrari. He's now got the car. So yeah, he's only 24, 25. So it's not exactly like he's going to be at a set. And obviously, Esteban Ocon now back at Renault. Hopefully, he can join the fold in whichever capacity that allows him to. Of course, that's going to be more difficult now that he's left the Mercedes program. It never really seemed that Ocon was going to be at a Mercedes, to be honest. It just felt that... After that year out, when uh, he lost his opportunity to go to Renault, bef- uh, when Ricciardo joined a couple of years ago, it just seemed that it was ne- it was never going to happen for him at Mercedes. He kind of lost momentum. Yeah, and of course with George Russell there, um, yeah, it, it just seemed that if you were going to pick one of him, you would pick George. I certainly would have done. So I think, yeah, I, I'm hoping that George is given the nod at some point, whether it be this year, whether it be next year. But to be honest, there's only so long you can keep George back. But again, he's in the same position. Like Hamilton is. I am hoping, Adam. I'll like, mm. make you right, but I am really hoping that Verstappen isn't. There isn't that much of a talent gap. I just don't think. I just don't think he will. I mean, as impressive as Verstappen is, and I think a lot of people will argue that he is the best in this generation. That is a fair assessment. But I just think that there's so much talent, and a lot of the cars are. are you know, we've not had three cars that regularly compete for world championships in long time. You know, people talk about it's boring with the top three, but most championships you either get one car that's better than the rest or two. Yeah. You don't often get three that's better than the rest. So with the Racing Point or Aston Martin, if you like, and the McLaren team looking to join that um, that echelon, the top echelons of Formula One racing. So I think the future decade of Formula 1 is in good hands I'm just hoping that George is given an opportunity in a big team sooner rather than later yeah, as we said he does find himself in that awkward position Hamilton does where he's knocking on the door to get what he wants but there's not really anywhere else he can go and if he does go he's potentially throwing away a best chance at getting um, those championships in a car that can win them on a regular basis so um, I guess that brings us back to 
uh, a team we just mentioned earlier, probably the last thing we should talk about on the podcast, is the now available seat at Renault following Daniel Ricciardo's departure at the end of the 2020 season. Now, we've already teased the idea of a few drivers that could potentially jump into this seat. Valtteri Bottas, one of them. Maybe Sergio Perez, if he's moved on from Aston Martin, could join. But one driver we haven't mentioned in this podcast, to, in this episode, we did talk about briefly in the last one, is Fernando Alonso. Now, Fernando Alonso... The yes, the third coming of Fernando. Um <laughs> <laughs> that could be a pretty good film or a book, to be honest. Uh, not necessarily related to Formula One, but I digress. Um, Fernando Alonso, uh, sort of semi pseudo retired from Formula One, if you like, or took a sabbatical, I think is the better phrase, um, back in the end of the 2018 season in Abu Dhabi. Obviously, had that final race thereafter. Many years of woes and heartache and Grueling torture driving around in a McLaren Honda um, partnered car that just never really got close to delivering the success that the McLaren Honda partnership did. And something that was sold to him back when he left Ferrari um, in, after 2014, it just never really happened for them. And now that there is another seat available potentially for him, obviously the Ferrari seat was never going to be offered to Fernando, especially after the way that he left the team. And obviously for his history of not necessarily being disruptive, but wanting to try and overhaul the team for himself. And it's obviously caused rifts at Ferrari, it caused rifts at McLaren in the past. Um, on more than one occasion, he was very, and a very outspoken character, almost too outspoken, Fernando. As brilliant as he's been, he's equally been disruptive of his own career because of the way that he's acted and carried himself. But now that... The Ferrari and McLaren seats are filled. Mercedes, I don't think they're going to consider Fernando Alonso as much as he'd want to go there, nor would Red Bull. Um, what do you think, Courtney, are the chances for a seat at Renault? Do you think he should go to Renault if it was offered to him? Or do you think even Renault should even consider Fernando Alonso for a third coming with them? What no, do you think? I, I, I think this all depends on timing, Adam. So if Renault were to make a swift decision... So if they were to make a decision before the season starts, they'll say, yeah, it'd make a lot of sense for Alonso to come back. Okay? If the season goes on and you see different situations transpire, those we've touched on, like Perez and Bottas, then maybe Alonso's chances was, would go. If none of those said scenarios do occur, it wouldn't surprise me to see a return of Nico Hulkenberg. That's the one I'm talking out there right at the end. So yeah, I mean Nico Hulkenberg's a good men- is a good choice. Obviously, he left Renault after the 2019 season. He wasn't able to get a seat for 2020. Ironically, he hasn't missed a Formula One race because of obviously the current situation. So technically speaking, he's as uh, He's he's been out of Formula One as much as everyone else has. Yeah. Uh, poor Nicholas Latifi waiting to make his debut and hasn't quite done that yet. Um, but for Renault, I, I don't know about Hulkenberg. It's definitely one option to keep the ship afloat. Of course, they've got Esteban yeah, he Ocon. Would be the last choice. It'd be yeah. the last option, but I reckon he's he's definitely on the uh, he's definitely on the table. I mean, Esteban Ocon, of course at the team now and of course they're going to want to build that team around him partnering Ricciardo yeah. for this season 
French driver, young with a lot of potential and talent, as we've seen, was on the books at Mercedes for a long time, had good stints at the Manor team with Pascal Verlein, and of course in Racing Point two seasons with uh, Sergio Perez as his teammate. And it'll be interesting to see what Esteban Ocon we get. Will he be a, a carry-on from his previous ventures and previous talent, or will it be something a bit different, something a bit more level-headed and experienced, something we haven't quite seen from him before, haven't had the opportunity to... And I just see Renault wanting to back him. And uh, if they're really serious about getting behind a French driver to take them forward, um, then they really need to put all their resources into him. I just feel that even though there have been some reports that are saying Fernando is most likely to get this seat at the present time, I just don't personally think for the team that's the best option. Well, yeah, it'd only be a short-term option. No, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I've got no problems in saying this, but I feel that Fernando Alonso's time at Formula 1 has come to an end. As sad as it was to see him, and obviously being a Ferrari fan, I felt that his best performances did come in that car, despite not winning a world championship for them. Um, Obviously winning two world championships in 05-06, the guy that really took the baton from Michael Schumacher in uh, those glory days, as brilliant as that was, I just feel that... Fernando's time in Formula 1 is at an end and that I don't think it's a good idea for him to come back to the sport not just to tarnish his own legacy because bear in mind this would be a mid-table mid-team car this wouldn't be competing for championships or race wins so it wouldn't really be any different to the car that he left uh, at the end of 2018 the McLaren but also the fact that I feel that Renault as a team one, they can't really afford to disrupt Ocon's progress in that team if they want to get behind him. But Renault have got a very large dry, young drivers' academy. And uh, if you bear with me on this one, I'll try and explain this a bit more. So, I've just thought with somebody. But go on, go ahead. I'll, I'll, let's see if you can come to the same conclusion. So Renault have got... Uh, I'm just trying to think of my notes here. So in the Renault drivers' academy at the... At the moment, I'm just bear with yeah. me while I give you. They've got more drivers than anyone else. I think they've got the same as Ferrari in this regard. But they've got. Well, and I, they lost one last season. They lost one last season. They lost Jack Aitken yeah. last season. He joined Williams as a development and reserve driver for the. Yeah, and they, for, also, they also lost the, uh, the young French lad, didn't they? As uh, well. Yes, Antoine Hubert. Obviously, you yeah. know, very sad loss for him uh, and for the sport as well. Um, to a very massively talented driver in F2 last uh, last year, and it's a shame we lost him. But um, of course. There were other drivers in this young drivers program, so I'm just going to name a few in particular. So you've got Guan Yu Zhou uh, in F2, Christian Lundgaard in F2 this season, of course, Max uh, Futuel, Ye Yifi, Victor Martins, uh, Chao Calais, and Leonardo Lorandi as well, all in junior categories. Now, of course, the last six, uh, the last five, I should say, let's not worry, I'm, I'm more focused on Guan Yu Zhou and Christian Lundgaard yeah. in F2. And Guan Yu Zhou in particular. The one I was speaking of, Mike. Yeah, Guan Yu Zhou in particular, who had a very impressive rookie season, was rookie of the year last year in F2, showed a lot of talent. For those of you that might have heard of Guan Yu Zhou, would know him from the virtual esports races he's done with Formula One, and he's looked very impressive. Now, if I was Cyril Abitable, Guan Yu Zhou would be the guy I'd be looking at to replace Daniel Ricciardo and get that chance, because Renault have had a big problem in moving these young drivers from their young driver academy into Formula One. And there have been a few drivers in the past that they've lost. Of course, we mentioned Jack Aiken, very experienced F2 driver. He's going to be racing there again. He's a Williams development driver, and I think he will get a Williams seat next season quite possibly, depending on what happens with George Russell and Nicola Latifi this season. But they lost him. They lost um, Markolov, 
another driver, a very good driver in F2, very experienced. I lost him as well. Uh, Sergei Sorokin wasn't able to give him a seat at Renault. He ended up going to Williams that one season two years ago, uh, which didn't work out for him. So Renault's history of promoting younger drivers compared to a team like Red Bull, for example, is quite dire. Even Ferrari and Mercedes um, and McLaren have been a lot better at promoting young drivers into the team. I mean, you look at the you look at the Ferrari young driver program. Drivers like Callum Eilat, Mick Schumacher, um, Giuliano Alesi, Robert Schwartzman, Marcus Armstrong, and a few others. And then you've got a Mercedes. Uh, sorry, you've got you know a few other drivers. You've got Dan Tictum, who's joined the Williams young driver program from Red Bull, and Sergio Setti, Cameron McLaren. You can argue that every one of those drivers that I've just named will eventually, at some point, have an opportunity to get a seat in Formula One. Not necessarily at their parent team, in the cases of the Ferrari, Red Bull, and uh, Mercedes young drivers, but they will get an opportunity at a specific team. Renault do not have the luxury of having a second or a third team to not dump, but place one of their young drivers in to transition into. I mean, you look at the names of some of the drivers in past at Ferrari and Mercedes, like the Leclerc's, the Russell's, um, and Giovinazzi, to name a few. They, they all got their opportunities, and Renault just don't show that. And I feel that for Guan Yu Zhou, next season, he has to be looking at Ricciardo's seat, knocking on the door. And it's been, we, I don't think we've had a Chinese driver in Formula One. going to tell you, mate, you think about, you think about the... Um... I won't go into the politics of China, but you can imagine they'll be he'll be coming along with a decent amount of investment. If he's their yeah. first super, potential superstar, he will have he will have funds. Yeah, because of Renault. And this is a big thing because this is not in a way us implying that Guan Yu Zhou is a paid driver. Of course, a lot of drivers come with financial backing. I think that's just the nature of Formula One. Ever more so yeah, exactly. because of the current global crisis with coronavirus affecting the global oh, right. economy. <laughs> and this is a big thing. And not only that, Fernando Alonso will not come cheap. Any team that does want to sign Fernando, it's almost like signing a mercenary. Or like, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I think is the yeah. footballing equivalent. Yeah, yeah it's Zlatan of Formula 1. A lot right. of people want Zlatan. A lot of people want him to play for their clubs, but he does not come cheap. But he does bring that brand about him, that talent, that ability. He still has that. In the same way Fernando Alonso He's does. And sure. that is, yeah, and that's a valuable commodity yeah. in Formula 1, in, this, in a different way to football, but it is still valuable nonetheless. But Fernando would not come cheap. He'd demand everything from that Renault team yeah. and they'd have to go some way to deny him that and keep him happy I just don't think that's possible and it would disrupt the inner workings of that team with Esteban Ocon if you sign someone like a Guan Yu Zhou or even a Christian Lungard as well in F2 you're signing a young driver with bags of talent bags of potential can learn and knows the inner workings of the Renault team I mean let's not forget Fernando may have contacts at Renault or may have been there twice but the teams change all the time and if you're out of the if you're out of the limbo or you're out of limbo for a while you do lose quite a lot of knowledge that is so hard to get back you can't just jump back in it I mean Daniel Ricciardo we can see you can't just jump into an outfit and expect to get it nailed on it does take time and I just think that with Fernando, I feel like, as much as I hate to say this, his time in Formula 1 is over. Um, you know, he, he's given a lot to the sport. He's been incredible uh, and, and will be a legend. He's an absolute legend of the sport and deserves to be considered up there with the all-time greats. He absolutely does. But I just think that if Renault decide to take him on rather than sign someone like Guan Yu Zhou, for example, then it, it's the wrong move. 
financially well, yeah, we, and talent wise yeah. because it would just seem to be uh, it would almost be like a stopgap kind of move I feel exactly and uh, with the changes in the regulations, Fernando would have to get up to speed with those fairly quickly. And how yeah. much time is Fernando going to invest in a team that's going to have a mid, uh, mid-order mid car? He's the, the truth is, he's not. And it's going to be very disruptive for Renault. And it's, it's not something I want to see happen to Fernando. It's not something I want to see happen to Renault. And I certainly don't want to see the young drivers in that Renault driver setup looking at the Renault team and thinking, well, they've just basically signed two drivers in the space of a year that weren't involved in the Renault setup when they've got us all waiting there. And the fact that they've lost drivers like Markolov, Aitken, Surokin in the past um, doesn't give much confidence that Renault have much faith in their young driver programme. But I hope that changes. I really do. So if it were me, I think the best decision would be to sign Guan Yu Zhou for next season to replace Daniel Ricciardo. But of course... Who knows? I've seen stranger things in Formula 1. I would not be surprised to pick up a newspaper tomorrow or go on Twitter and see Fernando Alonso assigned for Renault. As fun as that would Just be to see. Like half ten in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> or like last week, you messaged me the other, exactly. that night to tell me that Sebastian Vettel was leaving Ferrari. So it's one of those things, as much as I'd love to see Fernando back, I just don't think there's a seat available for him that would really suit his needs and the team's needs. It's just not going to happen. So I think... Well, let's just see how it all turns out. Very interesting times, mate. Very yeah. interesting. I mean, I've gone on a bit of a rant on that one, Courtney. Is there any thoughts on that Alonso to Renault situation uh, based on what no, I've I mentioned? Think, I, I think you um, you pretty much touched on it. And, you know, I had it in my mind even before you said it about Guan Yu Zhou. I've completely forgot about him. And it comes... It just, it, it, when you're talking about doing the categories, I thought... I completely forgot about him, and he can't. It can't, it can't be dismissed. Well, he's it's got, a real yeah. opportunity. Yeah, he's got, yeah. And, he, and he's got bags of pace and potential. This kid. I mean, Guan Yu Zhou and uh, the late Antoine Hubert were the rookie stars last season in F2. Of course, and Antoine's untimely mm. passing, which really was a sad day for everyone in the sport and a big loss to the motorsport world. Um, but Guan Yu Zhou in particular was a star last season. A lot of emphasis was on Mick Schumacher. And Mick's got a lot to learn this season. And I hope he does in the way that he did when he won the F, uh, GP3 Euro Championship a couple of years ago the same way. But The problem with Mick yeah. Schumacher though is that he's carrying a weight and that weight is his name. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. I mean, I mean, we won't talk about it too much. We'll save that for another yeah. episode. But obviously, Mick's one of those drivers that is quicker and quicker as the weekend goes on. But the problem is he needs to be on it straight away. And Guan Yu Zhou, in my mind, has that package. He has what it takes to do a good job at Renault, to be a number two driver to Esteban Ocon, learn his trade and improve as you go on. But And he's, ch- and he's cheap as well, let's not forget, So as a young driver. But uh, yeah, no, that's uh, I think that's a pretty good way to end the episode, guys. Don't forget... For those of you listening in, guys, to like, share and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's really helping us out. We've got 25 subs so far, but I'll tell you what, every one of you that has supported us so far, whether you've watched the video, shared it, liked it, retweeted or smashed that notification bell, we just want to say thank you so much for your Thanks support. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. And we love making content for you. I think the last couple of weeks we've made these episodes where there's been real content to talk about. It's been some of the best um, some of the best episodes that we've that we've made that I've enjoyed making. I hope that does and continue. And enjoyable, and, and I hope and I hope that shows. I hope that shows in what we're giving you. 
Yeah, I hope so because too. The last episode or so, it has it's, it's 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 been brilliant to take part in, to be honest. Yeah, and it blew up for us, and and we're really really happy about that, and we're so glad that you guys are responding in the way that you are, that you're enjoying it. So do let us know in the comments, guys. What do you think is going to happen in the driver market? Do you think uh, Sebastian Vettel is going to retire at the end of the season? Do you think he might go to another team? And if you do, where? Um, who do you think is going to take that seat at Renault? Do you think it's going to be Alonso? Do you think it might be Guan Yu Zhou, as we mentioned, or perhaps someone else? Uh, let's not forget Hulkenberg. Courtney mentioned him briefly, and it wouldn't be out of the question to bring him back. Um, although I would say... It might be a bit risky to bring him back or it might be an opportunity to bring a young driver, but that's me. That's my opinion. Um, but let us know what you think. If you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you also want to give us feedback, message us on Instagram. We've got the DNF1 underscore podcast uh, on Instagram or on Twitter as well under the same handle, DNF1 underscore podcast. So I think that's all that's left to say, Corny, is... Uh, that's a wrap that's another episode in the book so uh, thank you very much for joining me once again Corny as always it's a pleasure to have you on with me and uh, yeah take care guys enjoy your week ahead and uh, we'll see you in the next DNF1 F1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network.